This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. When we look across the tech industry, there has been some real progress in recent times, but we would still like to see more women in the top tiers of leadership. There are many trailblazers there, however, who are fiercely contributing to long-term cultural change. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by Suzanne Steele, Vice President and Managing Director at Adobe Australia in New Zealand. She's a passionate and dynamic leader with a 25-year leadership career spanning data, software and analytics. Suzanne knows what tech success looks like and how we can get there. So, Suzanne Steele, thank you very much for joining us. Now, for our listeners, you have had an absolutely incredible career. You're currently the Managing Director of Adobe, Australia and New Zealand. But that's after 25 years of working around the world at the forefront of data, software and analytics businesses. So, for our audience, take me back, if you like, to the beginning. How did you get into this line of business? Yeah, and thanks, Kate. And it's great to be here today. Um, How did I get into this line of business? I think... um, It's fair to say, like many um, females who end up in technology, um, really quite by accident and um, definitely not by design. Um, Although looking back, um, you know, on the on my history, I'm really glad that I I sort of fell into technology. Um, Where it all started really was uh, I was in a situation where I actually had to leave school at 16, really due to some family circumstances. I was never really um, had the opportunity to do an expensive sort of university education. And so um, I really started out in sort of secretarial and admin work um, from the age of 16. Um, And as I say, and I'll give you a bit more color to what I wanted to be when I grew up, grew up, was I actually wanted to be in the police force. And so from 16 to 18, I did admin roles. And then when I got to 18, I applied to join the police force in the United Kingdom, which you may be able to tell that that's where I've spent the bulk of my working career. And I actually got all the way through the selection criteria for the police, which um, was not particularly easy. It was um, not only mentally demanding, but quite physically demanding at that time. And got offered the position um, of starting out a career with the police force. And then I kind of realized that through that process, I'd not met one senior female at all in the police force during the selection process. And on doing some research, I also realized there was not one female chief inspector in the whole of the UK. So I kind of decided not to bother um, and instead to do my time in the corporate world whilst always having really a fascination for the law. So definitely not traditional. There's a lot that you've said that's really interesting, and I just want to delve into little bits of it. So first of all, I mean, at 18, you apply and you're successful to get into the police force. And so even at that young age, you're really attuned to culturally how an organisation presents itself. You know, and, and like I think of myself at 18, to be honest, Suzanne, and I don't think I would have noticed that point about women at that age, but you were obviously very uh, sort of culturally sensitive. Is that fair? Uh, Yeah, I think so. And I think probably because I come from a family of mainly females. So I'm one of four children, the eldest of four. Um, And yeah, three girls and one boy. But also, I think I was pretty tuned into cultural differences because 
we grew up in Northern Ireland, actually, in Belfast um, during the Troubles. And effectively, I watched some real cultural differences during the early 70s um, mean that inclusivity was not available to certain individuals purely because of their religious um, bias. And I guess having grown up in that environment and actually pretty much been evacuated, if I'm honest, from Belfast um, in the 70s, shortly after Bloody Sunday, um, to go to a different country and have to fit in. I think I've always had this cultural radar that I think has actually served me well. Mm. The other thing you said there that interests me, and I mean, I'm sort of interested, it's a really sort of interesting history you've just described there, but I just want to pick up one thing. You talked about um, as a woman getting into technology by accident and not by design, you know, and this is uh, 25 years ago. Do you think things have changed much now? And I say that against the background of all the discussion there is around women in, in STEM, you know, that at schools, at that educational point. Do you see a change with the women coming through now? Is it more by design than accident? Um, it is more by design than accident these days. However, I, you know, I still don't think that, you know, I still think there's a lot of work to be done to encourage more women to design that career for themselves and to believe that they can have a great career um, in data analytics, technology, STEM. I think there's more that needs to be done. But it's certainly, you know, when I first arrived in an IT department working as an administrator, I mean, com computing was very, very different at that time to what it is today. And um, yeah, I think there are a lot more a lot more females choosing um, choosing these careers, but there's still more work to be done, and more work to be done um, in schools and universities for you know being able to create those career pathways and get people excited about the future and you know the skills that they'll need for the future. Mm, when you say that, it makes me think of my daughter who at eight came home from primary school and said to me, I'm no good at maths, mummy. Only boys are good at maths. And I just thought, wow. where does that messaging come from? Yeah. You know, it certainly doesn't, doesn't come from our house. All right. So, yeah, you just said it there. You first arrived in the IT department as an administrator. Um, did your star immediately shine? Did you get a lot of support? Because those first few roles must have been quite pivotal for you. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't say that my star immediately shone. I think it took quite a long time for my star to shine. To be perfectly honest, I did um, some corporate roles, working in like an IT department in big corporations, and I think where I really my star really shone was I ended up actually in what we now know today as a tech startup, really a fintech startup in insurance um, at the ripe old age of 21. And I was employee number two in that startup. And luckily for me, the owner of that business really did see something in me that I would never have seen in myself. And took it upon himself to give me a lot of opportunity, but also to mentor me and sponsor me and put up with failure, help me to fail fast as we built this new startup from scratch. And I have to say that he's still a mentor and a coach to me some 
30 years later. And so what I'd like to emphasize in that is I think at that age, in that sort of environment, the only real way I could have shone was for somebody to shine the light on me rather than for me to actually identify that for myself because I was really inexperienced. Mm. That experience, you know, that early experience of having a mentor who, like you said, saw something in you and, and really sort of helped you. Do you have you paid that forward? Have you yourself been a mentor to people during your career? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I see that as my real passion in life is to identify that talent that would otherwise be undiscovered because it's very often the quiet voice in the room, the introvert, the person who doesn't really have a lot of self-esteem, who has a lot more talent and a lot more capability than they themselves would ever, would absolutely ever um, identify. And so it's a bit of a passion of mine. And I've been really fortunate to work with some some great people over the last sort of 25 years who, you know, have become friends, who I've been a a mentor for, and who've gone on to absolutely great things, um, far and beyond, you know, what they may have thought they could have done. And, you know, I think that's something that as leaders, particularly in, in our market, I think as leaders, we need to um, double down on um, mentorship. And then it's more than mentorship. It's then, it's really about sponsorship. Mm, yeah. And I, and I love that idea of paying it forward as well. Now I'm going to come on to talk about your career, particularly now working for a US multinational. But before I do that, I did notice in my research one thing that in your time in the UK, you had been a magistrate in the UK. So tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, Kate, as I mentioned right at the beginning, I I did have this overwhelming desire to join the police force and got through the selection process. And I guess I always had this unfulfilled sort of need to really double down and understand more about the law and the, the criminal justice system in particular. And literally, that only happened towards the back end of my career, right? So, um, it would have been around 2009, I decided to apply to become a magistrate, um, was accepted and went through a lot of training. And I have to be honest, it was it was extremely um, fulfilling, but it also was extremely, um, I suppose, mind broadening, I would say, in terms of when you've had a very corporate life and you've grown up in a certain world through your career to then be sort of catapulted into the criminal justice system. And, you know, it it just broadens your lens. Um, And, you know, was great training, also great training in terms of, you know, bias and understanding how we leave our bias at the door. And we use the facts in front of us to make decisions, particularly that's how the criminal justice system works. So it was uh, it was a great experience and I loved it and did a lot of work with the Westminster Drug Project um, as a result of it. So it just broadened my lens on the world. So now, as I mentioned at the beginning, you're working for Adobe, so a US multinational. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me what you think um, multinationals do well, if you like, and what they could improve on. 
Yeah, I think uh, multinationals, I mean, Adobe, um, we really think about our world as being around empowering our employees and our customers and our communities to create a more inspired, inclusive and sustainable world. What does that mean? Well, that means that, and certainly from a multinational point of view, you know, our product innovation um, in in our cloud-based software delivery, digital documents and, you know, collaboration tools um, is immense. And our ability to innovate and develop great future-proof products um, is amazing. So, you know, that we do that, we do that really well. And if you look in, you know, the Forrester and Gartner reports around our product categories, we sit at the far right-hand side in most of them. I think it's 24 out of 37. And so we do that really, really well. Um, The other thing that Adobe does in particular, and one of the main reasons I was attracted to come to Adobe, to be honest, is that we drive greater diversity and inclusion. Um, And we believe, and it's it's evidence, that greater diversity and inclusion drives greater creativity and innovation. And that's the right thing to do. And so what I'm really pleased with... um, now that I've been at Adobe for what, three and a half years is, you know, when I first joined, we achieved gender pay parity globally would have been in around 2018. And since then, we've maintained it because it's not a point in time that you have gender pay parity. It's something that you have to constantly monitor and check and assess and course correct. And we've managed to maintain gender pay parity, which on a global basis, you know, this is a, these are hard things to do. And a lot of organizations, you know, who talk about diversity and inclusion, you know, talk about it. The thing that I love most about Adobe is that we actually commit to it and we commit to it with dollars and with activity um, that is um, led from our CEO, Shantanu Narayan, all the way down through the organization and back up again. So, you know, that's that's something that I you know as far as I'm concerned as a as a multinational organisation that we we manage our business um, globally extremely extremely well and when we commit to something we absolutely commit to it um, and we work hard to make it happen. Another example of that, Kate, is that we after we achieve gender gender pay parity, we then realize that we need to look a bit broader because it's not just about pay. It's about opportunity. And we now have something that we call opportunity parity. And we are actively working and measuring and course correcting to make sure that no matter where you sit in Adobe, no matter what role you have, no matter what your background, that everybody has the opportunity to be the best that they that they can be and not everybody wants to be the CEO or the MD but can you be the best that you can be and achieve great things and opportunity parity is something that uh, we've uh, rolled out in the last 18 months and we're making great strides and it's uh, that's pretty exciting actually. Mm, yeah it's really interesting to hear you talk about particularly that issue of gender parity and how you have to maintain it and how there's a sort of almost a natural slippage if you like. For you uh, where you are at the moment in your career how would you describe your style of leadership? 
I would describe my style of leadership as honest, um, open. I like to walk a walk. So the last year has been incredibly difficult for someone who likes to be in the corridors um, here in here in Adobe. I like to um, know our people and help our people. I think, you know, leadership in this in this modern age is actually about leading from underneath and driving the business forward rather than leading from the top down. Um, how do you drive um, drive to high performance? And just knowing knowing our people, spending time with them. I'm a people person. Um, spending time with them, actually having a bit of fun with them. I would describe myself as, you know, that's my type of authenticity. People talk a lot about authenticity, but that's my that's my style of authenticity. Mm. And as you mentioned, and no one can have escaped, it has been challenging times. What's that meant for your customers and for your employees? Wow. Well, everything's changed, hasn't it, Kate? I think, um, and there's no question that we will not go back to how it was you know, ever, I don't believe, you know, this, the future, the future of work is totally flexible, and it's really hybrid. Um, And we talk about it being enabled by a digital first mindset. Um, So it's, it's changed how our people work, but it's also changed how our customers work. I think, you know, we've seen programs um, having to be brought forward as much as 10 years, you know, programs of work to um, provide digital capabilities have been, you know, accelerated massively during the course of the last year. And many of our customers, we've worked really closely with many of our customers to stand up um, their, you know, their websites, their, you know, flexible working processes, um, really to drive sort of creativity and innovation because they've had to change their own operational models, whilst at the same time, we've been changing our own operational model. Um, And, you know, more recently, we're back in some of our offices here in here in Australia, we're back, we're back in our offices, but still, some people are working from home. And actually, Adobe has um, created a flexible working um, mindset that allows people to work from home. Um, 50% of the time, even when your office is open. But what that then drives is this new hybrid model of some people are in, some people are on video, and you, you know, we have to be very deliberate about inclusivity as we move to this new hybrid um, hybrid world. Um, but what's been great is we've been working with many of our customers um, on their digital projects and standing up all sorts of, you know, innovative um, new programs work. And it's been really energising and exciting to be part of that. You work at Adobe, which obviously is a global name in terms of uh, digital offerings. Where do you think we are now in terms of digital disruption? Um, And I say that because, you know, digital disruption has been around as a term for more than 10 years. And we've seen this massive uh, step forward, if you like, in how organisations use technology. Is there more of a level playing field now or, or do you see more disruption coming down the pipeline? I would I would think it would be more accurate to think about it as a um, the world has changed organizationally many many of our customers have gained 
um, confidence in the digital world that they may not have had. But most importantly, if you think about what happened, you know, from March last year, every just about every business moved to digital and digital experiences um, have really played a vital role in making every aspect of our lives possible, whether it's doing your banking, ordering your groceries, um, having them, you know, delivered, curbside delivery, all sorts of, it, it really, it doesn't matter which industry our customers are in, um, digital experiences have, have really changed the world. And, you know, even going as far as keeping families and, you know, I've got three daughters and they're all in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, if I think about the amount of um, interaction I've been able to have with them and the ability to stay connected to my family um, through to keeping, you know, our employees connected to thinking about, you know, new ways of learning um, to powering commerce and, you know, really ensuring that continuity of essential business operations. So we've really transitioned to this digital, global digital economy. And I would say we've done that overnight. And for Adobe, you know, our mission um, is to change the world through digital experiences. And so for, for Adobe, I think that has never been more relevant or, in fact, critical. And, you know, just recently I saw a report that the digital economy has grown 20%. Well, you know, that's, in our opinion, that is going to continue. So it's going to be extremely interesting over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. Mm. Um, you're a, a leader, essentially. You've got a high profile. Bearing in mind all the shifts and the things that have happened in the last 12 to 18 months, what do you see as the role of business leaders more broadly in the world? Do they have a role on larger issues, you know, in terms of advocacy around climate change, um, around sort of socioeconomic issues? Do you see that role emerging? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think, I think I've seen that, you know, in my time, certainly, you know, at Adobe. I think, you know, our organisation is very focused on helping, you know, how do we help our people and our customers, you know, and our communities create um, a much more inspired, inclusive and sustainable world. And some examples of that is we think about managing our operations with sustainability in mind. Our goal is actually to power 100% of our operations by, with renewable energy by 2025. And then thinking about our products and our product innovation, I mentioned this, you know, our, our innovation in, you know, cloud-based software delivery, think about digital documents and virtual collaboration, that, that actually contributes to a zero waste future and will help us reduce carbon footprints. And then I think it's the role of um, industry, you know, and think about working across industry and with policymakers to advocate for change because we believe we can achieve more collectively than any of us can do individually. And a really good example of that, actually, Kate, and this has been um, announced today, is we, um, Minister Karen Andrews, as Minister for Industry and Trade and Science, asked technology giants like ourselves to come together um, at the beginning of COVID to consider how we could collaborate to help the government and help Australians with a response, um, and they they call, we called this a technology rapid response um, 
group and it was everybody you know salesforce were there adobe were there microsoft atlassian zero you know lots and lots myob lots of local businesses as well as international businesses and we came together and adobe you know i reached out and said hey we think the opportunity is to reskill people who are going to be potentially out of jobs or um, not, or who didn't have enough digital skills, for example, during this time. How do we ensure that we get? We've all got lots of courses available and lots of you know software available. How do we get these tools into the hands of Australians? And so, last October, we stood up um, Skillfinder, which is uh, www.skillfinder.com.au in Australia, and we did that. Um, we did that free of charge using Adobe software with all of our friends from the t- other technology organisations. Um, giving free courses. So um, that got stood up as a really a pilot in October. And um, the government have just announced today that they've given a $2.7 million grant to ensure that 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 can continue and that we can all expand the amount of courses and run the technology. And we did that with a a business down in Melbourne called Balance Internet, who effectively um, designed it in a hackathon during lockdown in beautiful Melbourne um, and stood it up in October. So I think the role of leaders in these types of organizations is to look for opportunities to collaborate, to make the world a better place. And I think that's a really good example of what we can do when we try. Suzanne, thanks very much for that. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. This episode was produced by the wonderful Alison Ho. And if you enjoyed it, then please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a great rating. To hear more from us, visit womensagenda.com.au. And I'm looking forward to hosting you in the next episode. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.